it's great to realize that you're a beautiful family here this morning. Do you realize that as you've come and you looked around at each other? And realize what a tremendous privilege it is to be a family that has the one Father, our Heavenly Father. And uh, as I come here today, you know, this whole world can uh, dish it up fairly tough at times. Uh, I just think of the last week and a half or so. I think of the little fellow who was burnt to death at two, just down, not that far from us, on the, north, on the side of town. Yeah, and that family goes to a church in the city and the Christians are really ministering deep into that family with that little boy, two-year-old, died in his own bed. And, and then you had the little fellow here, 20 months old, who uh, was killed just the w- last week. And, uh, and I, I was thankful that we, ha- we were with a couple on uh, uh, Friday night and uh, they've got Christian friends in the very street where that little family lived and they're ministering into that little family at the moment because, as you know, the mother had a little baby just hours after the little fellow was killed. You know, things are happening. I'm sitting with a, a guy this week ministering in my own home and uh, but he said to me afterwards, well, boy, he was de- fairly depressed. He was a minister across the city struggling with the issues of so many things that are happening. And I was talking to the Baptist on Monday morning at uh, Community Baptist and uh, someone had... Uh, uh, driven a car into their front door at four o'clock last sat- Saturday uh, in the morning and smashed the, their windows inside and took their petty cash. Uh, bankrupted the Baptists. They've lost the two hundred dollars and they're in real trouble now. But uh, it, you know, you can have a look at all these things and you can think of a multitude of other things that are happening all around us in brokenness and pain and suffering in people's lives. And I just think of some of the people I've had a chance to be with this week and just the, the financial struggles that come and life just has a way of really uh, knocking your legs out from underneath you in many different ways, young or old. It doesn't, have, doesn't discriminate. And as I think about that right this morning, we've come here now and uh, this is not a, a cop-out time. This is not a time where we, we just sort of cut out a reality and... Uh, and therefore just uh, get into some little fantasy world. But you've come here to reality, because the only place you're going to find reality and interpretation and understanding of life is when you and I come together and see that in none other than the Heavenly Father who gave His only begotten Son for you and I. And uh, so today I want to just uh, talk about that for a little while today. What a wonderful opportunity, as I said, to be together, to gather to give glory to the Father through his richness of his presence as two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of this this tabernacling of God within us and and that we can pray and we can praise. All these things are real stuff. This is reality. This is what life's all about. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, I just want you to sit with John's Gospel open before you. And uh, I want to... I'll be jumping... Uh, from place to place, taking you through a a real smorgasbord of the scriptures today and helping you to realize just how the word of God just brings so much freshness and reality and clearness to our thinking. And what I want to do is just, uh, first of all, give you a little introductory little burst from the scriptures, which comes from John 12, 44. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus cries out. When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me, says Jesus. 
When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. That is our Heavenly Father who sent the Son. I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my word but doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. I want to read those last few words to you. I know that his command, my Father's command, leads to eternal life. So whatever I say, says Jesus, is just what the Father told me to say. Wow, that's pretty amazing stuff. You see, Jesus had a direct connection to his Father, and out of that, he only says what the Father tells him to say. He's got this direct line, and uh, it's beautiful when you read the Scriptures, when you realize that, as was his custom, uh, he would certainly spend time with his Father all through the Scriptures. You see that happening. And the reason why I'm leading you to this this morning trying to help you to see what a privilege it is to be a, a royal family together under the Father of Heaven Himself. When the disciples ask teachers to pray, Jesus says, you pray, our Father who is in Heaven, hallowed be His name, this amazing Dad that becomes part of your life and mine, whether you're young or old or whoever you are. But in John's Gospel, that concludes a phase in the Gospel of John. Because when you come to chapter 13, that all of a sudden, the whole direction of John's gospel changes. And then from here on, chapters 13 to chapter 17, you'll find that now Jesus has drawn the crew together. He's got the boys together. He says, come on, let's get together. It's like us gathering here this morning on Sunday morning. And he says, I want to just speak into your life. I want to tell you exactly what's on my heart. And I want to tell you right here and now today that the whole of the gospel is just centered around some very precious key areas. So here's Jesus on the very night before he's going to be killed on the cross. He gets the boys together. He gets a family together, the, the, the 12 disciples, and says, I've got some really key stuff to leave with you so you keep yourself centered on that in the journey that's ahead of you. Because boys, you're in for a rough time. Because whether you realize it or not, that tomorrow there's going to be a cross. Tomorrow I'm going to be killed on Calvary. Tomorrow there's going to be blood and there's going to be anguish and there's going to be all sorts of things happening that's going to make you guys scatter like sheep without a shepherd. You're going to really feel as if the whole world's against you. So I want to make sure you've got yourself focused. And that's what I'm saying to every Christian, not only in this gathering today, but in the many places I have the joy of being, is that you need to make sure you get these words of Jesus and get the urgency and get, and Jesus, what are you going to say in these last hours as the clock ticks on the wall and he can see the time running out. And as Judas gets up and goes out to betray him in chapter 13, what are you going to do with all these things? Jesus knowing the reason why Judas leaves the room to actually betray the one in whom he 
very much uh, had walked with and had a friendship with. And when you go to chapter 13, and I'm not going to read a lot of the scriptures to you because I want you to go and search it out for yourself. But you see what Jesus is now doing in this time, he wants to show them the key to make sure that your Christianity and mine never comes unstuck. And uh, it's in the very first verse of chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Here it is, the curtain's ready to fall. You know, the old moment of death at Calvary is just, uh, just around the, the corner. And here he is. And then the key of what I want to talk about for a little while today is having loved his own who were in the world. And that's like it is right now. God the Father loves you with amazing love. It's a love that far surpasses everything you can understand. The Word of God says that the love of God is not intellectually able to be fully understood. It is beyond human comprehension, the love of God. It's so profound and so deep. So don't just try to get an idea from the world because you'll fall short. But here it is, having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Here's the key. What are you going to say in those last hours before you'll ever be able to have the opportunity probably to sit with these guys in moments like this? How are you going to prop up the body who are here this morning and say to them, when the rough times come, when the, the darkness descends upon us, when life isn't dealing things out the way we want it to be, how and what is going to hold you? It's very fascinating to me that this week I had a, a Presbyterian minister friend who was buried, he's only in his 50s, died of lung cancer. And uh, I met his son one day and his son was sharing his burden about his dad's cancer. So I sat down and wrote a letter and sent him some CDs for him to listen to because in my experience with this brother, he was always trying to be theologically so astute. But you wonder whether he knew what would carry him through. And I cannot answer that, only God the Father knows. His funeral was on Thursday. And uh, as I think about it, what's going to carry you through life? What's going to be there that's going to be as real as potatoes as you journey in these coming days, months and years? And you can bet your bottom dollar that the world's going to smack you in the teeth time and time again. God doesn't make any apologies for that. He says, in this world, you will, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So we need to realize Jesus is now in this chapter. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And you know what he did. You know chapter 13 well, many of you. He went and picks up a towel. The boys all walk into this upper room. There is not the customary guy at the door who's got to wash your feet. So all the boys are a bit embarrassed about this. And they're all pretending they don't notice, but they're uncomfortable as heck in this surrounding because their whole culture says, before you eat, you need your feet washed. So they're really out of place. It's like coming uh, to the table without washing your hands and you know that if mum picks it up, you've got to get to the bathroom quick and do some adjustments about that. And here they are, and not one of them could get themselves to sit down, pick up that towel, and grab the basin and wash each other's feet. 
but Jesus does. And I love this word of God where it says, knowing where he's come from and knowing where he's going to, he goes and picks up the towel and washes all the 12 disciples' feet. And I want to ask you, can you say of yourself right now, I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. I have a, a dear friend who's in ministry who often will come up to you and I wonder what would happen to you if he does it to you. He says, what's your destiny? What's your destiny? And you see, your destiny is to fall as a child into the Father's arms and realize that the love of God, which is more powerful than any force in the world, is that which is your destiny. Because when you come into the arms of a loving Father and the love of God transforms you, you become all that He, in His wonderful, sovereign, providential will, has planted in you a creativeness that he will now bring to all its beauty. As someone said in the last week, sanctification is what means beautification. When you are slowly being touched and transformed by the Holy Spirit's work of grace in you, you become more beautifully the person that he wanted you to be. So here we see Jesus with a towel and a basin. And he gets down and washes their feet. I want you to notice just one or two quick things. Does he wash Judas's feet? This rotten scoundrel who's going to betray Jesus after three years plus of walking with Jesus, trying to put on the old Greek mask of this is what I am, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Well, you know, you play the game, you fake it till you make it. This is the Judas of the scriptures. And here he is. Jesus comes and loves Judas to the very last moment of expression of love. He washes his feet. He's saying to Judas, I love you so dearly. And if you're very careful in the scriptures and do your homework, you'll realize that on one side of Jesus at that table sat John, and there's every reason to believe on the other side of Jesus sat Judas. And that's how close Jesus was endeavoring to take the last few minutes to pour into this Judas's life the reality that he's loved. And yet, we know that eventually he gets up and he leaves the room and he goes out to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And you know, he was called a disciple and every one of us in this room, we've got to ask ourselves what we're trusting in this morning because Judas was a treasurer. And if you read the scriptures closely, you notice Judas was actually pilfering the money. He was taking his little cut on the side and using money for his own use. He was still earthly focused. He had never really allowed the richness of the love of God to break into his life. And so we see that as you finish that chapter 13, what you come to is this amazing few verses. I want to read them to you. And uh, you pick them up at verse 34. I want you to listen to these last few verses of this chapter. Jesus, after he washes the feet, showing the full extent of his love to his disciples, because Jesus knows no matter how rough life gets, no matter how tough things happen in life, there's one thing that's got to hold you, and that's the love that will never fail you, that will be unconditional, and it will support you all the way through your life. And so we come to this little bit, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wow. Now, it's very important to put it into context. You know the great command? Who knows the great commandment? The great command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. But it's fascinating to me in the four Gospels that Jesus never refers to the great commandment, ever. The only time he gets in to a discussion with a guy who raises it with him, and he talks then in that context. But Jesus never of himself on his own raises the great commandment. But now he gives a new command. Does that mean to say that the great command of love the Lord your God with all your heart is done away with? No, that's still very real. But when you get this term, a new commandment, it means now I'm going to give a greater expression of that love. So when you go to 1 John's Gospel, you'll see it says, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, the truth is not in you. You and I can kid ourselves till the cows come home, but if you and I are not a people who love is not flowing through, we really haven't touched base with that love of God. And so we need to be thinking about that very clearly today. And uh, it's interesting to me, in Matthew's Gospel, there's a verse that says this. I want to just show you how we need to understand when you read the Scriptures. It says in Matthew, Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So how many of us here are getting 10 out of 10 for that one? Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The thing is, most of us immediately got put the thumbs down and saying, well, who can ever make that standard? But listen carefully. When you go to Luke's Gospel, the same verse is translated somewhat differently. It says, be compassionate as your Heavenly Father is compassionate. Now, biblical scholars will tell you that these two words, perfect and compassion, actually are reduced to the same reality. The way in which you and I reach perfection is when we allow the love of God to pour through us and that love is reaching out through our life to people and that is perfection. Isn't that amazing stuff? When you look at it in the reality of what the scriptures are telling us. The ministry of compassion precisely defines the biblical meaning of being perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. My identity and your identity as a children of God the Father is not an abstraction. It's not a tap dance into a little bit of religiosity. It's the core truth of my existence and your existence of this family here this morning at the project. It is about you being loved unconditionally by a Father who now pours a love in you that you don't even understand the framework of that love until you learn to be still in His presence, enjoy Him every day, like one person once said, I've been so busy working for God, I haven't had time to be with God. Well, that's the dumbest thing that most of us do because we think that somehow or other there's still a works aspect to our relationship with God when in actual fact it's a place of abiding, a place of realizing, it's a place where we remain and where true peace is found in our daily life. Living in the wisdom of accepted tenderness is profoundly affecting every one of our perceptions of reality. The way I respond to people and their lives 
shows me very clearly how deeply the love of God is transforming my life. It's very interesting. I was in Aldi the other week and my, God, my dad, he has a great sense of humour and he has the funniest ways of teaching you lessons. And in Aldi, I happened to be standing near the veggie section and this little fella, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have got up to my shoulder in the most weirdest get-up you've ever seen. He would have been a guy probably around the 50s. And, uh, you know, I noticed no one was standing near him and I realised why, because all of a sudden the, the aroma of the... Uh, shop was well and truly overtaken by this guy who probably hadn't had a bath in a week at least, you know, and uh, you looked at him and you say, oh my goodness me, you're a ragamuffin if ever I've seen one. Anyway, I moved myself around the other side, went about getting the things I wanted from Aldi and I ended up at the far checkout on the left and then I looked down and I saw this woman had this basket full of groceries huge, I don't know whether she's feeding an army or what, and I thought, my goodness, I'm not going to stand here, I've only got three or four things to go through, and I looked over and I saw in the far aisle, there was only one person at that checkout, and I thought, that's it, and I thought, you've got to make it quick at Aldi, or the next minute, someone else with another big trolley load beats you in, so I'd beeline over there without taking much notice, into that, I'm standing there, and then all of a sudden I realised why nobody else was there. Who was standing there, that little short runt that I couldn't see from this checkout over here, he was standing there and nobody wanted to be at that checkout. And next minute I'm standing beside him and the father's sort of saying, do you love this man? Do you see the beauty of this man, Rolly? So I began to talk with him and we had the most amazing conversation and he just opened his little world in to me as I stood there. And I want to ask you today, how you and I treat my brothers and sisters from day to day will show you the full extent of how much the love of God has touched you. How I react to the broken people around me will show you the full extent of the love of God that's touched your life. How I respond to interruptions from people I just don't like, they annoy me. That will show you how much love has touched your life. How I deal with ordinary people in their ordinary unbelief on an ordinary day will speak the truth of who I am more than anything else. And so what I'm saying to you today as a beautiful group of people here at the project, Christianity is not one of these chronic niceness little trips you go on where you, you can just turn it on when you need to and you think, oh, funny I could get away from this guy. You know, or, you know, it's not a sloppy goodwill but the power of God in us is that God really loves ragamuffins. He loves you in your sin and brought you into the richness and fullness of reality. And the book that was very powerful to my life was a ragamuffin gospel, which when I read it, it just continually showed me grace upon grace and our failure is just so forgiven in that powerful work of Christ. The compassion of God in our hearts opens our eyes to the unique worth of every person. And this is the unceasing struggle of my life and your life as I live it. He's going to put me into situations when the biggest rag of muffins is going to stand beside you, hasn't had a bath in a week, smells to high heaven, and God says, look at him, isn't he beautiful? And that's how God works and how he wants his love to touch the world. Listen to the scriptures again. I give you, 
a new command. I give you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men and women will know that you are my disciples if you have good theology. No. If, if you give your tithe and you go to church every Sunday. No. What is it? If, if you've been a good boy or girl all the week. No, 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 no. Listen to it carefully. If you love one another, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But that's not a guilt trip on you and I. The beauty of it all is you've got a father who unconditionally loves you, who sent his only begotten son into the world so that you might know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. What a beautiful, amazing truth that you and I live in. This unceasing struggle of a lifetime, God will continue to challenge me this week, I know, through somebody's life. Some irritating person who's going to come knock on my door. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, but, you know, but God will challenge you how to love into that person's life in all those sort of struggles. It's the long and painful process of becoming like Christ. I choose to think like Jesus. I choose to speak like him. I choose to live like Jesus. God's love is not a conditional love. It's an open-hearted, generous, self-giving, which God offers to every one of us here today when we just bring our souls to him in the richness and fullness of the full extent of his love. And that we know that there are many people in this world who don't want to receive the God that we love. But it's interesting to me because that last couple of verses now of that chapter, listen to it carefully. You, what, are you, what, what are you going to say to all this? If you happen to be one of the 12 disciples and you've been through watching Jesus wash your feet, when Paul, Pete's there having a bit of a moan and groan and saying, you're not going to wash my feet. You know, this is a bit too hot. This is, you, 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 you're, you're the son of God. You, you don't wash my feet. And, Je Peter's, and Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing of me. And he said, well, what's the whole lot of me? He says, come on, Pete, just keep your hair on. You know, you are my child. You just need some dust washed off your feet. And he does that. And, you know, and Pete's been there through all of this. He's just been told the amazing new commandment to love, the, to, uh, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you say, oh man, Pete, you are right there. You had it in your face. You were just overcome by this amazing love. What does Peter say? You want to get naught out of 10 for your exam? Well, pick up Peter right now. What does he say? Listen to him. You can see if you can fit this in. This is Peter. Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? What? Where did that come from? Here he is showing the full of extent of his love. Here he is loving into his disciples, showing them the full extent of it. At the 11th hour, the very heart of the gospel is being proclaimed. Peter, where are you? You ask, where are you going? Peter is more obsessed with what's going on in the natural there in him than he is about what Jesus is endeavoring to impress him with. I want to know what your obsession is this morning. You're all here this morning, and I'd hate, don't, God, don't reveal it to me. Why, why 
the things that are on your mind just at the moment that you feel you've got to deal with. Maybe right now you're so obsessed with your, your studies. Maybe at this time you're just so obsessed with a new car. Or maybe it's about making money or your health or your children or your future or whatever. But, you know, so often in our lives we are so obsessed with that which is right in front of us that we don't get hold and let the love of God be released in our lives. So much like the world, they see love being a mutual accommodation of self-need. That's what Peter was seeing. All he could see was, hey, Jesus, you've given us a drum that you're going to leave us. This is going to be, you know, I've given up fishing and I I gave up the fishing nets and I've really put myself out, you know, on the limb for you and now you're going to rat out on us. Now you're leaving. All he could think about was he couldn't cope with his own circumstances rather than entering into what the answer is for his circumstances. Why, how, Peter, did you miss all that Jesus was saying to you? What he did for you that evening when he showed you the full extent of his love, Pete, how did you miss it? But you see, when we, be, we see love as a mutual accommodation of my self-need, whatever is what I need, God needs to give it to me. Whatever I think my little shaky world is being threatened by, God's got to deal with it. We are so obsessed with that little smallness of mind. Peter goes further with his words, and look at the last little bit of that chapter. And when he says, Jesus says, where I'm going you cannot follow now, but you'll follow later. Peter answered, uh, asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, would you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. What, what is that all saying to us today? It's saying this in our, as we bring it all together. Peter is just doing what we often do. We sort of say, yeah, God, I'll die for you. And Jesus is saying, we will back it up, Pete. I didn't ask you to die for me. But what I want you to do is live for me. Why is it so hard for you to just accept that all I want you to do is live for me? We always want to be the big hero and go and die for somebody. But what about living for them? And you know 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And so we need to just sort out one, some little finer details before we finish. Why are, was Peter like that? Why are we so like him? Because we live in a performance-based world. We're consumed with the need of performance and to achieve a certain status, to feel accepted by people, or to have value by people, or be worthy of being loved. Love is a platform for our understanding of salvation. For God so loved, and love is a greatest motivator to repentance and purity than any intimidation or fear. But Henry Nguyen puts it well when he says, to be loved is difficult to receive. Henry Nguyen, the great author, that brilliant man, said love is difficult to receive. Peter, you are no different to us. I wonder how many of us here have truly just today particularly as Aussie men and women, where we can say, God, I I know the new commandment, 
and but I also know the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Loving Him and letting His love throw, flow through me. It's not a works thing. It's not a performance thing. I don't even understand love if I were to study it for the rest of my life. Only my Father knows the full extent of His love and He wants to pour that love into your life and mine. Yes, if we find it difficult to receive love, it's because we've believed a lie about God. And you've got to realize that the power of the father of lies in this world, he tells us that God's rejected us, that God's upset with us, God is disappointed with us, God has withdrawn from us because there's some sort of sin in my life, therefore God's not happy with me. He knows that we will try to hide from God and he does everything to get us to hide from God. And a lot of people don't realize that as in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, the amazing love of God came in the most amazing way because Adam and Eve were hiding because they sinned, but God does not turn his back on sin. He comes and meets you in your sin and he loves you in your sin and he encounters us at Adam, Eve, where are you? And I want to ask you today as we close, where are you? Where are you? Peter failed Peter was forgiven in the scriptures. And if you go to 1 Peter 1, 22 and 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, Peter says these words, brothers and sisters, he says in 1 Peter, the greatest calling you have is to love each other. Hey, Pete, what happened to you? Well, from that day when you flunked it, that in chapter 13 of John, and you went out there and denied Christ, and, and you went out weeping, and I met you again in John 21 and I encountered you there and I asked you three times, do you love me, Pete? I had to help you to realize it's not your failings that block us from each other, but your wrong understanding of my unconditional love. And so for us today, I want you to realize Christianity is not a works theology. It's not a works religion. And therefore, just like Peter, all of us here, I'm sure, somewhere on that journey to understanding that amazing love that wants to transform each of our lives. There's a little prayer that I want to pray. And I want to see if you can just quietly probably whisper it under your own breath. I'll pray it slowly. My dear and precious Father, help me to see people with your eyes. Remind me that I'm forgiven much. Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit so that I can pour out love to others. Amen. And if there's anyone here who feels that you need a good dose of grace and realize what a ragamuffin you are, this book is available to anyone who feels they need to read it, who, would, who feels they probably need to read it. It's yours as a gift this morning. You don't have to feel worthy of it, and you don't have to pay for it. There's no trick, and I won't ring you up tomorrow to get money out of you. But maybe there's somebody here who would love to have that book. I have one copy. I especially put it in. And there's another book here that I have which talks about the ruthless tenderness of Jesus which takes you to the understanding of the heart of God. And if any one of you feel you'd love to have one of those books, 
you only have to come up to me before you leave today and say, Rolly, I'd love to have that book. And it's yours as a gift this morning with no strings attached. God bless you.